This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports gambling talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie. I'm excited to be back for another episode. Before we get started today, just a quick reminder, you can find me on social media, on Twitter, or X, I guess as we're now calling it, at Gorgon Sports, Instagram and TikTok. You can find me by the same handles. Follow me there. That's where I'm going to be posting all of my gambling picks. If I add anything after this show airs, I will put it on Twitter and you will see whatever I add. If I do any live bets over the course of the weekend, I'll also be putting them there as well. So make sure you're following me on social media so you can stay up to date with whatever my picks are, whatever I'm adding, whatever insight I have in the world of college sports as we head into this college football season. And look, everybody, we made it. It's here. It's college football season. We had our bread basket last weekend in week zero. We got a nice little appetizer we're looking forward to on Thursday night with the Florida-Utah game, Minnesota-Nebraska. That's a good appetizer. That's a nice order of wings we have coming up. Maybe grilled, maybe mango habanero. Not your standard wings, right? Something a little little extra special, a little fancy for week one here. That's what we have on Thursday night. And then we have our big heaping helping, our full meal over the course of the weekend, a real live, honest to God, college football Saturday. We are going to have it all. It's going to be a great Saturday. And then we're going to get the big one, a top 10 matchup on Sunday night between Florida State and LSU. It's going to be quite a weekend. So let's get into this thing. Since this is week one, I do want to do a little housekeeping here. So everybody know how things are going to work over the course of the season on this preview show. So what I'm going to do each week is I'll start off talking about some kind of big picture topic in the world of college sports. Maybe as we progress later into the season, it's something playoff related. Maybe it's a trend I'm noticing. Uh, it's going to be something that is not targeted to a specific game. It's going to be big picture. It's going to be macro. I'll start off with that. Then we'll get into one big showcase game of the week that we'll break down in detail. We'll talk about the angles and we'll end with a pick there. And then we're going to finish it off with what I'm watching, what I'm betting. It's a segment I like to call Spray the Board. That's where I will tell you everything that I am watching over the weekend, what I'm interested in, why I'm interested in it, why it matters to the broader sport of college football, and then what I'm betting as well. And you will get each and every one of my picks ending with our weekly money line parlay. That's where I try to hit some sort of money line parlay. It's typically three legs, maybe sometimes four legs, but it's going to be 10 to one odds or better. It's where we try to hit something fun and make it a real good week. So let's get right into it then. We're here. It's week one. And today I, I want to start just by talking about what this season means. And really, it seems like the end of an era for so many reasons in college football. First, we have the four-team college ball playoff come into an end. This will be the last year of this format of the college ball playoff before we go to the 12-team format. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole ton of time on that because I have a lot of thoughts on the college ball playoff. I am somebody who I think is in the minority, but I don't think the four-team playoff was necessarily better than the BCS. We got a few good games out of it for sure. Last year's Last year's uh, Ohio State-Georgia game comes to mind. Georgia-Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl a couple years back. That was a great one. But we had a few good Clemson-Ohio State games. Seems like Ohio State just uh, seems to be involved in a, in a lot of them here. But it seemed like the four-team college ball playoff just added two extra teams. I feel like in most years we knew who the two best teams were, and we didn't really need that playoff. But we did get some good games out of it, and I think it was the right step because it was a progression towards getting to this 12-team playoff that we're going to next year, which I think is going to be 
a lot better. I think it's what we've been clamoring for. As long as I have been a college football fan, as long as I've been following the sport, there has always been talk about when are we going to settle this thing on the field? And I think in the 12-team playoff era, we will be the closest we've ever been to actually settling this thing on the field. You have a way to compete for the national championship, whether you are at the highest station of the sport, whether you're in the SEC and the Big Ten, or if you're in the Sun Belt and the MAC, there will be some sort of path for you to get gain entry to that college football playoff, at least as it currently stands right now. And you know, with the Pac-12 going away, there's some discussion about that format. Well, I shouldn't say the Pac-12 going away. It's not dead quite yet. But with the Pac-12 as we knew it dead, there is some discussion about whether we're still going to have six bids handed out to the six highest ranked conference champions, whether we're going to go to something else. So that remains to be seen. But at least as it is currently constituted right now, There will be a path. If you win your conference championship, there will be a path for you to gain entry to the college football playoff. Now, if you win the MAC, you still got to finish higher than some team, the the Sunbelt champion, the AAC champion, or even possibly in a, if the Pac-12 sticks around and it's a diluted Pac-12, the Pac-12 championship, because as it stands right now, it is the sixth highest ranked conference champions automatically gain entry to the playoff. And then we have six at large bits. So I think we're going in the right direction that way, but this is the, the end of an era, the end of a fourth of the four team playoff era. And it really wasn't uh, a super long era. 2014 was the first year of the college football playoff. And, you know, in the whole history of college football, 10 years is not a very long time. So we're, we're going to look back at some point and people will say, oh, there was a time when there were four teams. There was just a four team playoff. That's weird because we've had this six. We've had this 12 team playoff, maybe in the future, a 16 team playoff forever. Um, but this is very much an end of an era in that regard. It's also the end of an era due to all of this conference realignment that we have going on. So, of course, Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12. We know about the big Pac-12 moves with a bunch of teams going to the to the Big 10 and then some others going to the Big 12. You have the Pacific Northwest schools, the LA schools going to the Big 10. You have Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, the four corner schools going to the Big 12. And this is potentially the end for some rivalries. It seems like Bedlam Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is not going to be played for the foreseeable future. And that's sad. That's terrible. Something I hate. But we got to cherish that we're going to get it this year. Because I think the atmosphere for that game is going to be out of this world this season. And it might be the last time we get it for a long time. And that truly represents the, the end of an era when Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are no longer playing each other. They're in-state rivals. I hope they play again. But remember the excitement this past year when Nebraska and Colorado met for the first time in a long time. Remember the excitement when Oklahoma and Nebraska met for the first time in a long time. Those were a couple of Nebraska's big rivals that they hadn't played in forever after leaving the Big 12. And they were able to renew those rivalries recently. And there was such a excitement around those games. And my apologies there. The Nebraska-Colorado renewal was was not last. That was a couple years ago in 2019. But when those rivalries were renewed, there was such a strong excitement from everybody involved. I mean, when when Nebraska and Oklahoma played the last two years, they met the one year in Norman in 2021, and then again in Lincoln last year in 2022, there was so much excitement to renew those rivalries. Fans on both sides couldn't wait. You had fans traveling, you know, fans going from, Oklahoma to Nebraska, vice versa. It was a really big deal for those fan bases in those schools. And that 2021 meeting between Nebraska and Oklahoma was the first since 2010. And it was a huge deal. And I, I hope in 10 years, 
we say, okay, we're going to get our first bedlam game in 10 years. Everybody will be excited. But if not, we got to cherish it this year because we saw what it means and we saw what it takes away from the sport when you lose rivalries like that. And it's just something that we got to cherish. It's, it's very much the end of an era. We're also potentially entering an era where the juice to certain rivalries is not what it once was. I think about Ohio State and Michigan a lot with this because Ohio State and Michigan forever has been played on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, the last weekend of the regular season. And starting next year in the Big Ten, we're going to go to a format where there's no divisions. So Ohio State and Michigan could play each other the last weekend of the regular season. They could play each other again in the Big Ten championship game. And then it's possible if they're both good enough, like they were last year when they both made a four-team playoff, that they could both make a 12-team playoff and face off against one of an, one another in the college football playoff. And that would be the juiciest juice that ever juiced. There would be no more juice than them meeting in a college football playoff. But if you know that's possible, if you know there's two top five teams, if you know they've both already locked up bids to go to Indianapolis the next week and square off for a Big Ten championship game, that meeting on the last Saturday of the regular season definitely loses some juice. And that's something we got to think about as we go to these bigger conferences, these divisionless conferences, and the possibility that you're going to have teams who played in the regular season that are in the same conference meeting again in the postseason. It's what we have in every other sport, in pro sports, in college basketball. It's what we have, but it's not something that we're used to very much in college football. Yes, we've had Alabama and Georgia square off in a college ball playoff. Yes, even back in the BCS, we had Alabama and LSU have a rematch. But it's not something that happens very much. And it's going to be something that we're going to see a lot more in a divisionless world, in a 12-team playoff world. And I think there are certain rivalries that that may take some juice away from some of those regular season meetings. So it's a different, it's the end of an era in that regard as well, and how we potentially view certain rivalries and the importance of regular season games. So good or bad, this just very much feels like the end of an era going into the 2023 season. And there are good things about it. I, I love the 12-team playoff. I think that's great. I, I think it's great that we are giving more access to this championship event. I think it's great that we are actually going to settle this thing on the field. Finally, I've been talking about it for 30 years. As long as I've been a college football fan, that's all I've ever heard is we got to settle this thing on the field. We're doing it. We're doing it, guys. It's happening. That's awesome. But the the death of these rivalries is sad. The death of the Pac-12, no matter what happens with the Pac-12, the Pac-12 as we know it is dead. That's sad. That's sad for West Coast football. That's sad for West Coast basketball. It's sad for West Coast sports. It's sad. It's the end of an era in that regard. So there are things I'm going to miss about this era. There are things I'm not going to miss about this era. But it is certainly the end of something that when we write about college football history, when we write about college sports history, when we tell that story, this is going to very much be its own defined era, the 10 years of the college football playoff and all the realignment that came during this time. Let's dive right in to the action on the field this week. We've been talking realignment all season. We've been talking big picture all season, but we have honest to goodness, toe meets leather, college football games this week. And our showcase game of the week has to be none other than Florida State, the number eight team in the country, taking on the Bayou Bengals, the LSU Tigers, the number five team in the country. They're going to play this game in Orlando, Florida after meeting in New Orleans a year ago, kind of a pseudo home and home there. Not at home stadiums would be way better if it was 
actually in home stadiums. But nevertheless, we have a fantastic football game in prime time on Sunday night, Labor Day Sunday night. All eyes are going to be on Florida State and LSU. And these are two teams that both have championship aspirations this season. They both have aspirations to win their conference. They both have aspirations to make the college football playoff. And they both have aspirations to win the national championship. And what happens in this game, I think, is going to go a long way towards determining whether those aspirations can be attained. Well, is it possible that one team loses and then runs the table the rest of the way? Certainly but it gives you basically no margin for error when it comes to making that college ball playoff. I don't think you're getting into the playoff with the the strength that we have in college ball this year, the parity at the top. I can honestly count probably 10 to 15 teams that have a legitimate, 15 is probably on the high end, probably 10 teams that have a legitimate shot to make the college ball playoff, which is something you couldn't say often in the past and taking a loss in week one is really going to hurt your college football playoff chances. Is it impossible? No, but you're basically going to have to run the table from here on out. So this is a monster game. Florida state is a two and a half to three point underdog in this game, depending where you look. And the total is about 56 right now. If you're, if we're looking at this from a gambling perspective, 55 and a half, 56, 56 and a half. It kind of, again, depends where you look, depends what book you're looking at when it comes to the total here. And I, I think this is going to be a very close game. I think both these teams are very good. I think they are right to have championship aspirations. What LSU did in year one under Brian Kelly was absolutely impressive a season ago. What Florida State did last season and what they've done under Mike Norvell and their progression has been extraordinarily impressive. And now they're going to meet in this game and there's really one matchup that, that I'm watching. And this matchup is what's informing my play in this game as well from a gambling perspective. And it's Florida State and their talent at wide receiver. They have Johnny Wilson, the 6'7 wide receiver. They have Keon Coleman, a transfer coming in from Michigan State. They have Jaheim Bell, the tight end who kind of did it all for South Carolina last season coming in. And then at quarterback, they have Jordan Travis. And during our offseason shows, Ben's been raving about Jordan Travis, what he thinks he can do. He's a guy who can do it with his feet. He can do it with his arm. He's a he's an impressive football player, an impressive quarterback. And they have the ability to throw it around the yard. And I look at LSU, and the one weakness I see on that team is their secondary. You looked what you look at what happened to them a year ago when they played Georgia in that SEC championship game. And they were getting beat down the field. They were getting beat deep. You look at what happened to them against Tennessee a season ago. 40 to 13 at home in Death Valley. 40 to 13 in Death Valley. And that back end of the defense, it's just a weakness for LSU. And that's the big matchup that I'm looking at here. I think Florida State can take advantage of that weakness. I've been a big proponent of LSU to actually win the SEC this year because I don't think Alabama and Georgia can take advantage of that weakness quite like Florida State can. So my play in this game, my bet in this game is Florida State plus three. You can get that Florida State plus three at Bet Rivers. That's the only place I've seen it right now where you can get plus three. Everywhere else is plus two and a half. And that's just why it's so important to shop around. You got to find the right number. You're leaving money on the table if you're playing this at two and a half. So I have Florida State plus three in this game because of that matchup, because of Florida State's wide receivers versus LSU's defensive backs. Now, I wouldn't be shocked. LSU wins this game? Absolutely not. 
Would I be shocked if LSU wins it by four? They win it 28-24? No. can happen. These are two really good teams. I think these are, no doubt about it, top 10 teams. But I love Florida State's wide receivers. I think they have one of the top five wide receiver cores in the whole country. I like what Jordan Travis can do back there, being dual threat with both his legs and his arm. My question for Florida State is, can will this offense show up against the competition at the level of LSU? That's the one big question they need to answer for me when you look at what they did a year ago. Because when they played NC State, it was a lackluster performance last year. When they played Clemson, it was a lackluster performance offensively. So this is their first big test of 2023. And what better way to start than seeing if if that offense will show up? Because after those losses to NC State and Clemson, they went on a roll. They ended the season with five straight wins. They didn't score less than 38 points in a single game. They went 41, 45, 38, 49, 45, and then in the bowl game, 35 against Oklahoma. So they ended the season with six straight wins, five in the regular season, and the offense was really on fire from that point on. But they didn't play a top 25 opponent after that point. So this is a big test for Florida State. I think they pass it. I really do. Again, I just think there's too much talent there at receiver. I think they can take advantage of LSU on the back end. And then when you look on the defensive side of the ball for Florida State, there's nothing but positives there. There's nothing but positives when you look at this Florida State defense and what they got back. Jared Verse was going to be a first-round pick for sure. A defensive end. He ends up coming back. Fabian Lovett, one of their tackles, defensive tackles, he comes back. And he was hurt at times through last year. He was injured last season. And that defense was different when he was out versus when he was in the lineup. He comes back. Mike Norvell went out and did what he has done consistently since he's been at Florida State now. And it's utilized the transfer portal. They go out and they get Braden Fisk, a Western Michigan transfer, on that defensive line to beef up that defensive line. I really like this Florida State team. I really like the matchup, and I like them getting points. I think these teams are are relatively even, but I like that matchup with FSU's receivers against LSU's defensive backs. Now, I want to look... And see, I haven't seen any player props out there yet this week for Florida State because some of the things I'll definitely be looking to play in this game are player props around FSU's passing game. That would be be something I'm, I'm looking to play for sure. I just haven't seen any of those numbers out there quite yet. I'll check out uh, prize picks as well. Prize Picks is a, a daily fantasy site where you can where you can ba- essentially bet on player props. So Johnny Wilson yards. I mean, obviously it's all it's all dependent on you know what the numbers are. But if I, once I see those again, I'll put those out there on Twitter, put those out there on social media because I think there could be some good opportunities be some good opportunities for to play FSU receivers or Jordan Travis passing yards in this game. I like FSU to be able to throw the ball around. I think it's a close game. I like getting the points here. So give me FSU plus three for the game of the week. Now it's time to spray the board. We're going to go through the whole weekend. I'm going to tell you what I'm watching, what I'm betting, with a big focus on what I'm betting here. And let's start on Thursday night. The whole weekend kicks off with a monster matchup. Utah, a six and a half point favorite hosting Florida. The Gators go on the road for a non-conference 
road game outside of the state of Florida for the first time since 1991 when they went up north to Syracuse. Unbelievable. It's so ironic that it was at Syracuse too because Syracuse basketball is so known for refusing to leave the state themselves and their non-conference. But we have this big, unconventional SEC team going to the mountains in Salt Lake City to take on Utah, the first time Utah has ever hosted an SEC team. And the big question in this one is how healthy are Utah's quarterback, Cam Rising, and their tight end, Brant Keithy? They still haven't been cleared to play. We don't know whether they're going to play. It doesn't seem like we're going to know right up until the game. And with those kind of question marks, I just can't play this game. I just can't bet this game. The, the line's been moving all over the place. It seems like it's built in already. Yeah, I, so I at first said it was minus six. That's what I had written down yesterday on my sheet here. Checking it now, it's down to minus four and a half most places, all the way down to four at Caesars. So it's, it's kind of built in, I think, at that minus four number that Cam Ryzen is, isn't playing. And I, th- I mean... Even if he does, he's a guy coming off a knee injury where his mobility is a huge part of his game. I think it's going to severely limit him. But there's just too many questions for me to go ahead and play this game. If I had to do anything, I'd go under a very low under of 44 and a half. But with all these questions, I'm just going to stay away from it. I'm excited to watch this game. I'm excited to see what Utah looks like early in the season if they don't have Cam Rising. I want to see what Florida looks like with Graham Mertz. I think Florida's going to run the ball a ton. That's what Billy Napier did at Louisiana. He was a big power team. Graham Mertz is... I don't think you want to put the ball in Graham Mertz's hands and be throwing it all over the place. So I expect them to run a lot. I think without rising, Utah's going to run a lot too. And that's why if I had to play something, I'd go under 44 and a half. But understand something with that. You know, 28-20, that's a loser in this game. It's a low under, but if there was anything I would have to play, if I had to play something, uh, that's that's how I'd play it. So I think I'm just going to sit back and enjoy that one. The next game on Thursday night, which I am certainly betting, is Minnesota hosting Nebraska, the first game of the Matt Rule era. And this is a big transition year, not just for Nebraska, of course, bringing in Matt Rule, uh, bringing in a new head coach and changing eras entirely. But I think it's a big transition year for Minnesota, too. I think we're going to see a very different looking Minnesota team. They no longer have Tanner Morgan as their quarterback. They no longer have Mo Ibrahim as their running back. They lose three all-conference guys on the offensive line. So it's a very different Minnesota team than we're used to seeing. Minnesota has been all about running the ball with Mo Ibrahim and playing great defense. They had a fantastic defense last season. But even without Ibrahim, I still like Minnesota to rely on their running game and defense. They now have Ethan Kaliakmanis at quarterback, but last year they ran the ball 66% of the time, and he played a good amount last season. He was in there when Tanner Morgan uh, wasn't. He was playing quarterback last season, and there was more than a few times that he had completion percentages in the 50% range. I think the chatter I've heard is there's they believe Kelly Agmanis has more talent than Tanner Morgan. He can might be able to be a better passer in the future, but I think they are still going to rely on that tried-and-true method of running the football. And last year, they only averaged 21 points per game against Big Ten teams. Now, in Nebraska, you have Matt Rule coming in as head coach, And you also have Tony White coming in as Nebraska's defensive coordinator, which I think is a very big deal in this game because he was Syracuse's coordinator, defensive coordinator last year, and they were the best team in the nation at limiting explosive plays. You also offensively have Marcus Satterfield as the offensive coordinator, and you have Jeff Sims coming in, the Georgia Tech transfer at quarterback. Marcus Satterfield likes to use a lot of two tight end sets. It's more of a pro-style offense. And and Jeff Sims, you know, when I think about him, he has the ability to run around and create a little bit. 
all of these things together, I see this being a very low scoring game. It's a total of 43 and a half. I can get Nebraska plus seven and a half at Fanatics. Fanatics a uh, brand new to Maryland right now. And I could get Nebraska plus seven and a half there. So give me the Huskers plus seven and a half on the road in Matt Rule's first game. I think Nebraska has had talent in that program. I don't think it was utilized properly under Scott Frost. You could see them, though, playing hard down the stretch that last year. There was a lot of turnover, but I, I like Matt Rule coming in, flipping the culture. You know, I've heard a lot of talk about, well, Matt Rule kind of doesn't do well in year one. Well, I think this is a very different situation talent-wise than what he what he inherited at Baylor, what he inherited at Temple. So I, I think they can keep it close in this game just with the style of the game it's going to be. I think Minnesota's still going to look to run the ball, and if they don't, if they are going to pass it a lot with Cali Manis, I don't know that's such a great idea, given that's a guy who who struggled to... To, he certainly couldn't didn't hit that 60% completion percentage mark very often last year and uh, no had at least one game under 50% inconsistent in his time playing last year was Cali Manis and I think they're gonna try to stick with that tried and true method of run the ball and playing defense it's gonna be a low scoring game in a low scoring game I like the points and I like Jeff Sims ability to create on the ground at quarterback for Nebraska. Give me the Huskers plus seven and a half. Moving on to Friday night, there's one game I'm betting on Friday, and it's the battle of the Miamis. I really like here the Hurricanes as a 16 and a half point favorite against Miami of Ohio. I think Miami, the Hurricanes, have a lot to prove after last season, a really disappointing first season for Mario Cristobal. And I think at under three scores here, I think this is a line that I had to take. They have a new offensive coordinator coming in with Shannon Dawson. And hearing Tyler Van Dyke talk in the offseason, it sounds like they've really clicked. I think they have a lot of talent on this team. I think that they have a lot to prove. They're going to be highly motivated for this game. And this is one where the Miami Hurricanes roll. They cover that 16.5 point spread. And they get year two of the Mario Cristobal era off to a much better start than year one got off to. Moving on to Saturday, let's go to the noon slate here. I'm going to start with the games that I'm betting, and then we'll talk about some other games I'm not betting, uh, but I am certainly interested in watching. May utilize them for betting purposes in the future. The first game I'm betting here at noon is the Iowa-Utah State game. Iowa's a 23.5-point favorite. The over-under, the total is 44.5 points. The bets I like here, I like the under 44.5, and I like Utah State's team total under 9.5 points for the game. Utah State returns just eight starters on this team, and they have a turnover-prone quarterback who threw 11 touchdowns to 10 picks last year. They're tied for seventh with the worst net tarp nationally. That's transfer and returning production. That's action at action network statistic that gives a really good indication of the production returning, whether it's players that were on your team previously or are transferring in or transferring out. And they do not return a lot of that production tied for seventh uh, worst net tarp nationally. They were not an explosive offense last season. They were the 113th most explosive offense. Very, very bad. While Iowa was the second best team at limiting explosiveness. I even think with all the talk of what Iowa is going to look like this year with Cade McNamara, with a quarterback coming in, with Eric All coming in at tight end, with Brian Ferentz under pressure to score more, I still think Iowa is going to stay tried and true to what they do best, which is play good defense and run the football. They have a talented sophomore in Caleb Johnson coming back over the last four games of the season last year of the regular season. He averaged 17 carries and over 100 yards per game, including a 200-yard performance. I think that's what they do in this one. I, I really don't think, I think if Utah State scores, it's maybe three, maybe seven. That's why I'm betting that under nine and a half. I, I just see this one being like a 
35 to 7 type of game, which would put Brian Ferentz in Iowa over that 25 points per game they're targeting to score here with his contract situation. So give me the under 45 and a half. Look at 45 and a half, even 35 to 7. That's a winner that puts you at 42. Under 44 and a half and under nine and a half points for Utah State on their team total. The next noon game that I'm betting is TCU minus 20 and a half versus Colorado. It's Chandler Morris's time to shine at quarterback at TCU. I still love Sonny Dyke's offense. Uh, Chandler Morris reportedly won, not reportedly, he did. He won the quarterback competition last year between him and Max Duggan. And now he's going to get a chance to show what that was all about. Uh, I, If you've listened to me at all, this offseason, you know that I am not a big believer in the Colorado Buffaloes this season. There is just too much turnover on a team that had too little talent. And I don't think you can flip a roster that bad that quickly and have immediate success. I still think this TCU offense is going to be super explosive. I think they're going to put up a ton of points and three touchdowns in this game doesn't seem like enough for a team that went to the national championship last game last year and is playing at home for the first time since that game. I think that place is going to be rocking. I think everybody's going to be excited. I think there might be a feeling in the TCU locker room too that they're being overlooked. If you look at anything, any conversation about this game, it's all about Colorado. It's all about it's all about Deion Sanders and his debut at Colorado. Not the fact that TCU is is a team that played in the national championship game last year. And I think that's got to be a motivating factor in the TCU locker room as well. I, I expect them to put up a ton of points. I don't think Colorado is going to be very good this year. I don't think this line is high enough. Give me TCU minus 20 and a half for what should still be a very explosive TCU offense. Some other games at the noontime slot. Uh, I want to quickly mention Virginia goes to Nashville to take on Tennessee. This is a game in, in the Titan Stadium. Tennessee's a 28-point favorite here. Virginia actually had a pretty decent defense last year. They did not have a very good offense. It might be a decent look at what Joe Milton and that Tennessee offense can do, at least early on. I'm excited to see Milton and what he has to offer. I'm very curious about Tennessee this year and whether Josh Heupel's system is just so plug-and-play. It's just such a it's a, a system that is just so head and shoulders above everything else in college football right now where you know it's something where you can get around a lack of continuity, especially at the quarterback position. I'm really interested to see what that looks like. And if that's the case, I'm interested to see what Joe Milton looks like. So I'll definitely be tuning into this one, but uh, not any no. There's no way that I'm, I really saw no angles that I liked to bet this one. Another interesting game that would have been more interesting last year is Fresno state going to West Lafayette to take on Purdue it's a, this is Ryan Walter's debut as head coach at Purdue, former Illinois defensive coordinator. He's taken over. Purdue should look very different than they did a year ago. They're going to go from the cradle of quarterbacks, a, a team that like to throw it around the yard a ton, to a team that's now going to be very run-focused and and defense focus and interested to see what that looks like as they transition into this new era. Last year with with Jake Hayner and Aiden O'Connell as the two quarterbacks for these teams, I would have been really interested in watching this one, but it's a, it's a new year and a, a new style, at least for Purdue. But that's one just to at least keep an eye on there. Purdue is a three and a half point favorite in that one. Moving on to the 3.30 Eastern time, afternoon time slot. This game has my two favorite bets of the day, and it's Ohio State traveling to Bloomington to take on the Indiana Hoosiers. The Buckeyes are somewhere between a 29 and a half to 31 point favorite. And that total is 59. My two bets in this one, my two favorite bets of the day, Ohio state to score more than 44 and a half points. So over 44 and a half on Ohio state's team total. 
and the over for the game, Ohio State and uh, the Ohio State Indiana over 59, over 59 total points in this game. Let me tell you why. So the Buckeyes are breaking in new quarterbacks in this game. It was announced this week by Ryan Day that Kyle McCord is going to get the start. But it seems like this is still at least somewhat of a competition. And I think that means that there's going to be motivation and not much let up until the very end in this one. If they're still trying to figure out, is Devin Brown our guy? Is Kyle McCord our guy? I don't think you're going to just see them pack it in and run the ball once Devin Brown's in the game, if this thing gets out of hand. A lot of times I worry with especially high point totals about blowouts and backups coming in and you know not really running the offense, but I don't think that's going to be the case here if they are still trying to figure out, is Devin Brown our guy or is Kyle McCord our guy? I think you're going to see Brown show what he can do, and I don't think they're going to limit him. Aside from all that, Ohio State clearly has the best receiving core in the com- in the country with Marvin Harrison Jr., a guy I talked about I, who I've bet on to win the Heisman Trophy at 30-1, to 1, and Emeka Abuka. Two great receivers. I can't imagine two better guys, maybe outside of Brock Bowers, for breaking in a new quarterback. I think this offense is going to be humming. It always does, and it always does against Indiana. Since Ryan Day got to Ohio State as the offensive coordinator in 2017, Ohio State has averaged 50 points per game against Indiana. Indiana has averaged 19 in those matchups, and the totals in those games have been 70, 75, 61, 77, 61, and 70. So four times in six years, the total has hit over has hit 70 points and the two times it didn't it was at 61 points I think this over of 59 is a no-brainer especially when you factor in that Indiana likes to play really fast under offensive coordinator Walt Bell they were 10th nationally in plays per game last year at 77 and a half plays per game and then when you factor in that Ohio State's one weakness really is that back end of the defense and limiting explosive plays. They were in the bottom 10 nationally in limiting explosive plays a season ago. So give me the Buckeyes over 44 and a half points and give me the game total over 59 points. Elsewhere at that 330 time slot, there's really one game that I'm interested in sitting down and watching pretty much start to finish. I don't have a bet in this game, but I think we're going to learn a lot about both teams in it. That's Washington, the number 10 team in the country, hosting Boise State. Washington's a 14-point favorite. The total is 58 and a half here. And Washington, if you've been listening to anything I've said this offseason, you know Washington's a team I love. I love their offense. I love their receiving core. I like their quarterback, Michael Penix, a ton. I have a bet in on him to win the Heisman Trophy this season. I have a bet on Washington to win the college, uh, to make the college ball playoff, rather, this season. And I have a bet on Washington to win the Pac-12. I am all in on this Washington Husky team, but I think Boise State can present a real challenge. They were a different team with Taylor Green at quarterback. Taylor Green is a a huge guy. He's a running threat, and Boise feels like Boise fans feel like when they once they put him in the lineup, it was really a different season for them. Now, towards the end of the season, it seemed like they regressed a little bit in in some ways. They lost that. Mountain West Championship came to Fresno State. They could only score 16 points. But nevertheless, I I think there's reason for optimism in Boise. And I've been talking about all offseason, but can Boise get back to being the king of the G5? Winning a game like this one, going on the road and beating Washington, that's how you do it. That's how they did it originally, is by going on the road and winning huge games against power conference teams. I think this is going to be a very good test for this Washington defense, and I've talked about the reason I like this Washington team more than USC or more than Oregon is I believe in their defensive talent more than those teams. I believe in their ability to step up and improve as a defense. I think this will be a really good test for Washington in an opener against Boise State. And it's, of course, a great opportunity for Boise State to pull a huge upset here. If there's one game I'm watching at 3.30, it's this one. Now let's move on to our night slate here. 
and I have a bunch of games I'm betting here in the night slate. Baylor, minus 27.5 against Texas State. It looks like this is a really popular bet out there so far, but I still like it. I I love it, in fact, and I'll tell you why. There's one huge reason I like this, and J.G. Kinney, the new new head coach at Texas State, runs a really fast offense. They want to play fast. It's a unique offense, but when you play really fast, it means you can get a lot of quick possessions, a lot of quick stops, and give the ball right back to your opponent. I don't think Texas State yet has a, a ton of talent there, and with them playing that fast, I just see that leading to a lot of quick possessions and giving the ball right back to Baylor. Baylor looking to prove something themselves a little bit after a down year last year. They want to get back on the right side of things. They think they can be a a big 12 title contender and uh, they want to get off to a good start. So I just, the, the, just the pace of that Texas state offense and the fact that they don't necessarily have the talent there yet to run it. That leads me to taking Baylor minus 27 and a half. Uh, I'm in on that one. The next game that I'm really excited about just to watch, but certainly to bet here, is South Alabama going to New Orleans to take on Tulane in a Gulf Coast battle. Tulane, the darling of the country last year, they have the huge turnaround. They get the G5 group of, uh, they get the G5 New Year's Six bid. They beat USC in a fantastic game, and now they're looking to do it all again. But you know what? It's really hard to do it all again unless you are a team like Boise State, like Cincinnati, like UCF that has has built that roster over years and years and years. And in South Alabama, you have a team that's right up there at the top of the Sun Belt's West Division with Troy. Troy and South Alabama are the two teams that are going to be battling for that Sun Belt West for, uh, West uh, Division. It looks like this season they have a great chance to go out and actually win the Sun Belt. I am betting South Alabama here at plus seven. You can get that plus seven on Bet Rivers. Elsewhere, I've seen it at six and a half, but go get that plus seven at Bet Rivers if you want to bet it. Last year, Tulane's strength was its running game. They ran the ball on almost 58% of possessions, which put them in the top 25 nationally in terms of run-pass splits. They lose their running back, Tajay Spears, but I still expect them to run a lot because that's just what Willie Fritz does. That's his offense. That's what they do. I think that's great for South Alabama because South Alabama has a really good defense. If you had put South Alabama in last year's AAC, the only team that would have had a better defensive SP plus rating than them was Cincinnati. South Alabama had a really good defense last year, finished 31st nationally in SP plus and look no further than what they did when they went out west to play UCLA. They held the Bruins to 3.9 yards per carry in a one-point loss, and that was an explosive, explosive UCLA running running attack with Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback and Zach Charbonnet at running back. South Alabama not only did a good job last year at limiting explosive rushing plays, they were 14th nationally in limiting rushing explosiveness last year, but they also did a great job on a down-to-down basis. They were in the top 40 nationally in rushing play success rate on defense, which basically means on a down-to-down basis, they did a fantastic job of stopping the run. I think that matchup works out really well for South Alabama, where Tulane wants to run the ball, but that is the strength of their defense. And then offensively, South Alabama has a lot to be excited about. They have a lot returning on that side of the ball. They have their quarterback, Carter Bradley, coming back. He completed nearly 65% of his passes a season ago. He threw for over 3,000 yards. They have their running back, LaDamian Webb, coming back, who rushed for over 1,000 yards on 5.1 yards per carry. And they have four starters on the offensive line returning. All in all, this team has a lot returning. They're tied for eighth nationally in in net tarp. Uh, I really like this matchup for South Alabama. Tulane, of course, 
had that great season last year. They have their quarterback, Michael Pratt, coming back. But at seven points, a full touchdown, I really like this for South Alabama. Uh, this is just a, a matchup that I, I really like for this team. So give me South Alabama plus seven. The next game that I am betting on Saturday night is the UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio game against Houston. So an in-state rivalry here. Last year, Houston went down to the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. They had that triple overtime thriller. UTSA had a big lead. Houston ultimately ended up winning it. I think UTSA gets revenge this year. Uh, they are a one to two point favorite. I'm betting UTSA on the money line. It's minus 118 at DraftKings. Give me UTSA as a road favorite to win this one. I just think Houston loses too much. They lose so much off last year's team. There's a ton of turnover. They're going through a quarterback transition. So they lose Clayton Toon. Donovan Smith, the Texas Tech transfer, is going to be the quarterback there. But everywhere you look, there's just change on this team. They did not have a very good offense or a very good defense, rather, a season ago. UTSA, with Frank Harris at quarterback, has a fantastic offense. I, I just like UTSA to get revenge here. I like the continuity with Frank Harris coming back at quarterback. I like what Jeff Trailer is building there as the head coach. Uh, I like that continuity and versus all of this turnover and transition that's going on at Houston right now. I like that UTSA wants a little revenge for last year. So give me the Roadrunners minus 118 on the money line on Saturday night. The other game on Saturday night, I got to call out. I am not betting it because I just don't know which way to go is the battle of the Carolinas, North Carolina versus South Carolina in Charlotte, North Carolina, a two and a half point favorite. Look, anytime North Carolina's on TV, I think it's worth watching because you get a chance to see Drake May. I think he's one of the most fun players to watch in all of college football. And on the other side, you got Spencer Rattler, who's one of the who's one of the most uh you never know what you're going to get out of Spencer Rattler. He can put up an unbelievable game. He can put up a three-pick game. But you're always going to see something interesting when Spencer Rattler is quarterbacking a team. There is high expectations for Spencer Rattler and South Carolina after the way they ended last season. They beat Tennessee and they beat Clemson, and they looked really good doing so. Spencer Rattler looked really good doing so. And can he carry that over into this season? There's a lot of turnover elsewhere at South Carolina. Yes, Spencer Rattler's coming back, but there's a lot of turnover in other spots. I talked about the fact that they lose, lost Jaheim Bell to Florida State. Uh, they lost a running back to USC. There is just a lot of times you looked up over this offseason and you just said, oh, okay, that person who was a big part of the South Carolina team last year, a big part of the success that they had is leaving the, the program. So I just have a hard time knowing what to expect out of either one of these teams at North Carolina. Phil Longo uh, leaves as the offensive coordinator to go to Wisconsin. They bring in Chip Lindsay. You expect maybe it's a little bit more of a, uh, of a ballot balanced run pass attack. But that remains to be seen. I just don't know enough about what to expect from either one of these teams to confidently be able to make a bet on it. I do, however, know I'm looking forward to watching this one. Again, can Spencer Rattler, can he build off that success that he had the end of last year? Almost 440 yards versus Tennessee. 360 yards in a win over Clemson. The first time they had beat Clemson in a very long time. But then you look at, some of the other games he had last year, especially early in the season, the opener against Georgia State, he throws two picks, one touchdown, two picks. That was kind of the thing for a while. I mean, the throughout the whole first month of the season, he had more picks than than touchdowns. So it's which Spencer Rattler are you going to get? If I was forced to, to pick one, pick a team here, I would gasoline North Carolina minus two and a half just because of of the the quarterback matchup I trust Drake May more than I trust trust Spencer Rattler in this game 
But, you know, there's a, a lot of other factors in the game of football outside of quarterback, which is why I just can't make a bet here. While talking about this game, I also have to mention the horrible tragedy that took place at North Carolina over the course of this past week. A faculty member was fatally shot in Chapel Hill earlier this week. The whole campus was on lockdown for hours and hours. It was terrifying. It was heartbreaking. And it's something that we just see far, far, far too often. So our thoughts are with the North Carolina family, the fans, the players, the coaches, the students. Thoughts aren't enough, but our thoughts are with them. And I'm sure this is something that's going to be weighing heavy on the hearts and minds of everybody involved with that school, with that program, with that team as they travel to to Charlotte to play this game, to watch this game, to try to return to some sense of normalcy after a heartbreaking tragedy in Chapel Hill. We're not quite done yet here as we do have some Sunday games we need to discuss. I talked about the big one at the top here, Florida State and LSU in Orlando, but there's one more game that I want to watch and I want to bet on Sunday, and that's Oregon State traveling to a Mountain West school San Jose State, they're taking on the Spartans, and I'm betting on San Jose State at plus 16 and a half. Oregon State, they have really high hopes coming into this season. And why not? They had a fantastic year last year. They beat their rival, Oregon, and then they add DJU as their starting quarterback. They presumably upgraded one of the spots on the roster that needed upgrading. But you know what? Oregon State also loses six starters on defense, and their defense was really good last year. I don't think it's going to be quite as good this year. San Jose State has shown some ability last week against USC to put up some points. Uh, Siobhan Cordero is their dual-threat quarterback, who I think can give Oregon State some trouble. And so I like that aspect of things against uh, a defense that's going through some turnover. Uh, And last week, too, San Jose State was without their uh, preseason all-conference wide receiver. No news yet on whether he's playing or not. It was pretty vague on why he didn't play. So we'll see if he's back, but that would be a big bump for them too. I also just think this game is still going to be more of a... It's going to be a lower scoring game, a game where Oregon State kind of still does what they've done the last few years, even with DJU now in there as quarterback, presumably a more capable thrower of the football. Last year, they ran the ball over 60% of the time. That was 11th nationally, and they have a really good offensive line and a really good running back in Damian Martinez. I think that's still the strength of this team and what they're going to rely on and why that matters in this game is that I I think it's still going to be a game where this isn't going to be a shootout. This is going to be a a lower scoring game where Oregon State is trying to control it physically, control the clock, running the ball a lot. So lower scoring, those 16 and a half points mean more. I think Siobhan Cordero is going to do some things offensively on the San Jose State side where he can run around, he can make some plays, and he can create some trouble for that that Oregon State defense that is going through some turnover. So give me Oregon, or give me San Jose State rather, plus 16 and a half on a Sunday afternoon. So I'm going to run through all of my bets really quick here as a recap. On Thursday night, I have Nebraska getting 7.5 at Minnesota. On Friday night, I have Miami, Florida as a 16.5-point favorite hosting Miami of Ohio. On Saturday, I have the Utah State team total under 9.5 points. I have the Iowa-Utah State game under 44.5 points. I have TCU minus 20.5 versus Colorado. I have Ohio State over 44.5 points. That's their team total. And then I have the game over 59 points, the Ohio State-Indiana game over 59 points. Moving into the night night time slots, I have Baylor minus 27.5 points against Texas State. I have South Alabama plus 7 
at Tulane. I have UTSA on the money line, minus 118 at Houston. On Sunday, I have San Jose State plus 16 and a half versus Oregon State. And I have FSU, Florida State plus three against LSU. I will wrap things up with my money line parlay of the week. And this has some juicy odds plus 1162. So almost 12 to one odds there. I am going UTSA, South Alabama, and Florida State all money line. I'm going to parlay those three together. And that gives me those odds of plus 1162. That's my money line parlay of the week. And as always, I'm putting a half unit on that one. All other bets that I called out today are a unit for me. I will post all these bets on Twitter so you can see them there. I'll also put them in my Google sheet that you can track throughout the season. You can see how I do You can see all my bets that I put in. You can see how I do on certain types of bets and all the information will be there. That's the show for today. That's the week one preview. We're here. It's football season. We're going to be watching real football games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I can't wait to come back and recap them all with you. Look ahead to week two and do it again and again and again throughout this regular season. It was a pleasure as always. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.